Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode four of season two of the Fashion Law Network podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to part two of my mini-series titled Retail Climate Change, where I examine the various changes the COVID-19 pandemic has had on retail, particularly e-commerce platforms. So as you may remember in my last episode, I discussed how the pandemic has increased the need for companies to embrace the e-commerce business model, since e-commerce continues to grow as consumers are not out shopping as much as they used to be. And here on a local level in Los Angeles, where I'm based, our indoor malls are still closed. So basically any store with a enclosed entrance cannot be open. So for example, the interior entrances to stores inside of a mall have to be closed, but a store with an outdoor entrance or a sidewalk entrance can be open. So that translates to a lot of the larger anchor department stores and malls, which are allowed to be open. There was actually a recent lawsuit filed on this matter, alleging that these restricting L.A. County rules on indoor shopping are unjust, but that's a story for another day. These rules, of course, may change as everything in retail seems to be in a constant state of flux right now. So in this second installment of my mini-series, I'm going to focus my analysis on the online luxury reseller platform sector. So companies like The Real Real, What Goes Around Comes Around, and the like. And then I'll discuss the recent legal activity surrounding these companies, along with a report of current trends and financials in this sector. So the United States luxury reseller online sector has seen a lot of growth in recent years. According to the consulting firm Bain & Co., the U.S. luxury resale market totaled $6 billion in 2018, and is expected to reach $51 billion by 2023, according to research company Global Data. So these are pretty major numbers, and a large factor in the rise of luxury reseller and these reseller platforms in general are the positive environmental and sustainability impacts they have. The market for secondhand clothing and accessories seems pretty mainstream now compared to a few years ago, The stigma of buying used fashion items seems to have dissipated, especially among younger consumers. A prime example of this is the fact that Neiman Marcus has recently partnered with Fashion File, which is an online reseller of pre-owned luxury designer handbags and accessories. Neiman Marcus is, of course, a very high-end department store. And if you go to their website, they state that you can get a quote for your used handbags, shoes, jewelry, and accessories, and then you earn an extra 10% bonus when you choose a Neiman gift card as your payment. I think the fact that a highly regarded company such as Neiman Marcus means that they're pretty confident in the business model of an online luxury reseller. Tracy Denunzio, who's the CEO of the resale site Tradesy, stated in a report that, quote, the resale market leads customers to making more purchases in retail when a customer knows that she can resell her item. She's going to pay a little more for it. Now, I definitely agree with this statement. It's kind of nice to know in the back of your mind when you purchase a big ticket item that you do have a chance of recouping some of your money back if the item doesn't work or you just get tired of it after a while. Now, I did my own little poll on my Instagram account, and I mean very little. It was from a pool of 60 voters, so 
obviously just a microcosm of any trend out there. And I noticed that a much, much higher amount of my American listener followers had bought or sold items on reseller consignment sites versus my European or international listener followers. Now, I wonder, is this because the luxury reseller market has not been as highly embraced by countries outside of the United States? I thought that was an interesting conclusion by my poll, something that I wasn't really expecting. So now let's go over some of the major players in the U.S. luxury reseller online platform landscape. The first and largest is the Real Real. Now, in my very first episode of this podcast, which was titled Chanel versus the Real Real, I go over this company in detail, along with a pretty in-depth discussion of the somewhat recent order, dated March 30th, 2020, in the Chanel versus the Real Real case out of the Southern District of New York. So you guys are welcome to go back and listen to that. But for these purposes, I'll just give a quick synopsis of the company. So the Real Real is a retailer, of course, in the luxury consignment field, and they're based in California. They have a website and also four brick and mortar retail stores around the United States with millions of shoppers and consigners. Now, customers can purchase used luxury goods on the website with a consignment option where you can sell your own luxury goods also. I have some personal experience with this company as I've used it to sell some of my designer items. Although note, I have not used it since the pandemic. So this is solely based on my experience. I believe it was January of 2020 was the last time I used this company. So I have to say, it's a really cool business model. I arrange for a pickup with their white glove delivery service, and I have a consignment manager that's assigned to me. I think they do this for all of their clients. The consignment manager comes to my house every so often, just whenever I would have designer items that I didn't use anymore. And she would take photos of my items in my home, and then she drives off and takes all the goods with her to the Real Real headquarters here in Los Angeles. And then in about four to six weeks, I would get these surprise checks in the mail from them when my items sell. Now, one thing I have noticed lately is that I get way more reminder emails from my consignment manager for selling my items, emails stating that she'll be in my neighborhood on this date and she'll be doing curbside pickups. They also offer FaceTime chats for video appointments, and then they can also send a complimentary pickup. So they've obviously been changing with the time since the pandemic. Also, the Real Real released its financial results for the three-month period ending on June 30th of 2020, of course. And according to the report, sales were down by 21% compared to the same period last year, while its net loss grew to $42.9 million, up from the $25 million it reported for Q2 in 2019. The Real Real also released its quarterly trend report, And this shows us lots of different shopping patterns which are emerging during the pandemic. The report is available through a link on their website, and I'll also provide it in the episode notes at the bottom of the description for this episode. It's pretty interesting. If anybody wants to read it in full, it is 19 pages. So I just pulled the most relevant items from my limited discussion here. And according to the report, the site has had a 27% rise in new consigners, and they've held over 25,000 virtual consignment appointments since the pandemic began over six months ago. 
All data is based on the shopping and consigning behavior of the real, real 17 million plus members. So that's a huge number. A statement on the second page of this report concludes that, and I'm quoting straight from the report here, the top luxury brands are becoming even more entrenched and Louis Vuitton is now the number one brand for the first time. Of the many trends driven by COVID-19, one of the most surprising in the current economic climate is the significant increase in shoppers buying high-value investment pieces. Buyers are gravitating toward quieter stealth luxury and embracing luxury label streetwear designs. In a bright spot during these difficult times, engagement in the circular economy is high, specifically among brands and consigners, and that Gen Z, millennials, and men are the new faces of luxury shopping. Now, as a sidebar, something else that's really interesting in the report was that there's been a 45% increase of engagement ring sales. So it looks like quarantine is really making or breaking a lot of relationships since these engagement ring sales really spiked in June. One thing I've been thinking about is whether the supply is going to be too high compared to the demand as time goes on. I remember during my MBA studies, which I did before law school, I took a whole economics course, which was focused solely on this intricate relationship of supply and demand. Who knew I'd ever be able to actually apply that? So supply and demand are really important to the economy. Supply is defined as the total amount of a particular good or service available at a given time to consumers. And demand represents a consumer's desire to purchase these goods and services. Now, these two economic forces really influence each other. They're important for the economy because they impact the prices of these goods and services. And you can probably guess that supply and demand usually determines the price of goods. So at the beginning of the pandemic, there was a major limit of supply, according to an August 6th 2020 stockholder letter, which was issued by The Real Real. I can also provide a link to the stockholder letter, which stated that total supply units shipped to their e-commerce facilities declined 29% year over year in Q2, with New York City and Los Angeles disproportionately impacted by the pandemic. It further stated that New York City and LA are the two largest markets and together they represent approximately 40% of the supply in 2019. So as many people in major markets like New York City were fleeing their homes in the city and moving or at least staying in second homes outside the city somewhere. But now that stores are open and people are back in the city and the same thing with Los Angeles, there's a lot more people on the streets now, there's probably going to be a lot of cast strap people who are trying to sell off their luxury goods. But I guess the question is, are there enough consumers for all these high ticket items? It kind of seems like handbags and accessories are doing well now, but luxury clothing, especially with the more fancy type clothing, like dresses and the like, I could see there being a problem with reselling those type of items. So now let's discuss and analyze a few of the most recent lawsuits that the real real has been involved with. So, of course, first we have Chanel versus The Real Real. Last time we left off with this case in my podcast series was, of course, my discussion and analysis of the order. 
uh, dated March 20th, 2020, where both sides won a little bit there. So the real real is pretty meticulous about which designer items they accept and sell. They have a list of accepted designers that they take, which changes as they get results from which items sell the best on their website. Their tagline is authenticated luxury consignment, which is huge because there's always a fear when you're buying these really expensive handbags. For example, some can be upwards of six, $7,000. You want to make sure that you're not wasting your money. The Real Real touts itself as being the only resale company in the world that authenticates every item sold and that they're at the forefront of removing fakes from the marketplace. So you might be asking yourself, how exactly can they manage to do this? And according to their official authentication process, they state, which can be found on their website, by the way, that they employ over 100 different brand authenticators, gemologists, and art curators. So seems like they have a pretty thorough examination process. Furthermore, the real real terms and services state that the brands sold on their site are not involved in the authentication and the brands on their site are not affiliated or partnered with them. Keep note of this because it's going to be important in the analysis of this lawsuit in a minute. So in 2018, Chanel started doing an investigation into the items that the real real was selling with the Chanel brand. And they found that the real real was trying to sell seven allegedly counterfeit Chanel bags. Chanel stated that these bags were of inferior quality and that the serial numbers didn't match up with the genuine serial numbers that Chanel typically designates in their company. So after some more investigation, Chanel ended up suing the real real on November 14th of 2018 for trademark infringement, false endorsement, unfair competition, among a few other items, but I'm just going to focus my analysis here on the trademark infringement claim. So in its decision here, the court held that Chanel had plausibly alleged that the Real Real's advertising about the authenticity of the products itself was literally false or in the alternative impliedly false and likely to mislead or confuse customers. The court found that statements like, quote, we ensure that every item on the real real is 100% the real thing are an unambiguous representation of fact that all the products advertised and sold by the real real are 100% authentic. The court did reference the Tiffany versus eBay case. This is the case that I discuss in more detail in part one of this mini series where the circuit court made clear that the law prohibits an advertisement that implies that all of the goods offered on a defendant's website are genuine when in fact a sizable proportion of them are not. However, the question is, we don't really know what a sizable proportion is because that case didn't really define what that is exactly. So I guess it remains to be seen whether Chanel at this point can show what a sizable number of these goods should be here. And furthermore, the court upheld the Real Real's legal right to sell and market genuine Chanel goods. So 
Then, according to the docket history in this case, just recently on September 18th of 2020, there was a letter whereby Chanel's counsel requested a ruling compelling the real real to produce discovery as follows. And I'm reading straight from the letter here. The real real shall provide a spreadsheet of Chanel branded items from its automated system containing things like item name, serial number, web URL, and that the real real shall not limit its production in response to Chanel's request and interrogatories to discovery merely on the seven handbags. Now, these seven handbags they're referencing are the seven allegedly counterfeit Chanel handbags that Chanel, that the real real was trying to sell. And then from the same letter, we get the real real's position here. So the Real Reels Council argues that Chanel is treating discovery as a one-sided fishing expedition, reading straight from the letter again, into the Real Reels business as part of a larger strategy to harm the Real Reel as a competitor. Although the Real Reel has already agreed to broaden its responses to certain requests where appropriate, Chanel's demand for broad discovery into years of the real real sales data ignores Rule 26's requirement that discovery be, quote, proportional to the needs of the case. So obviously there's quite a bit of disagreement here um, in terms of the discovery request. And then finally, there is a discovery conference scheduled for this case on October 6, 2020. So I'm going to be monitoring the case history here and I will keep you guys posted so unfortunately, this is not the last legal issue for the real real, because on September 10th of this year, there was a lawsuit filed against the real real by a the real real shareholder by the name of Ivona Grzelak. I'm assuming she's Polish like me because her name is super Polish, and she claims that a number, but not all of the Real Real's individual board members, from founder Julie Wainwright to PVH Corporation President Stefan Larson and executives like the CFO and CAO, intentionally or recklessly breached their fiduciary duties as directors and or officers and violated the US Securities Exchange Act in the process by misleading investors about the authentication process. So in this complaint, dated September 10th, Plaintiff Gzelak argues that the defendants, quote, represented to the investing public that the real reals authentication process was extraordinarily robust and was conducted by highly trained experts. Furthermore, she alleges that the large majority of the items that went through the real reals authentication process were not inspected by expert authenticators, but by the real reels copywriters who are hourly employees with minimal training or experience in authenticating luxury goods and who were forced to meet strict quotas, which left them with little time to authenticate any given item. So this is another lawsuit on my calendar. I'm going to keep you guys posted on any new developments here. And this does make me wonder whether this lawsuit will have a lasting impact on the real real sales. Now let's leave the real real and discuss another major player in the United States luxury reseller market, the New York-based company What Goes Around Comes Around. 
The company was started back in 1993, which was when the first brick-and-mortar store selling their secondhand luxury fashion items was opened by founders Gerard Mayon and Seth Weiser. The company now has presence along with additional brick-and-mortar stores in Beverly Hills and, of course, New York. There's a famous ongoing lawsuit which many people in the fashion industry are watching right now, again with Chanel as the plaintiff, Chanel versus what goes around comes around. So Chanel is known for being aggressive and protecting their intellectual property rights, and they initiated this lawsuit back in 2008 when they sued what goes around comes around for trademark infringement and for competition and false advertising in the United States District Court for the Southern District of New York. And their initial complaint alleged that, and I'm quoting straight from the complaint here, through its businesses, advertising, defendant what goes around comes around has attempted to deceive customers into falsely believing that it has some kind of approval or relationship or affiliation with Chanel or that Chanel has authenticated what goes around comes around goods in order to trade off of Chanel's broad and goodwill. Then after some back and forth between Chanel and what go- go- comes around goes around, there was a recent order, which was dated May 5th, 2020, regarding a dispute the two companies were having over discovery, which is the pre-trial phase in a lawsuit where each party obtains evidence from the other party. So in this May order, the court stated that, quote, conduct with respect to Chanel's discovery inquiries must essentially be carried out as follows. Chanel will specify with particularity and detail as to make it identifiable by what goes around comes around each offer sale of an allegedly infringing or counterfeit Chanel product by what goes around comes around. The judge further stated that what goes around comes around must also provide the relevant information in connection with each instance of an offer or sale of an item, which Chanel plausibly claims is or was repaired, reconditioned, or altered as to have lost its identity as a genuine Chanel item, or acquired by what goes around comes around under circumstances which do not qualify as a first sale under the doctrine, or mislabeled or falsely advertised by what goes around comes around. So this is a pretty broad holding by the court and a little similar to the recent issue in the Chanel versus the Real Real case, where the Real Real is arguing that Chanel is going on a quote, one-sided fishing expedition in their discovery requests. So the first sale doctrine basically means that once an item is sold, the original intellectual property rights holder doesn't have any more rights over the item. So for these purposes, once you purchase a Chanel bag from the Chanel store, Chanel doesn't own the intellectual property rights to your bag anymore. However, as always with the law, there is an exception to this doctrine, which is when the product itself or the packaging is, quote, materially different, that's kind of the buzzword, than the product originally sold by the trademark owner, that is the exception to this doctrine. So then the question sometimes becomes, what exactly is materially different? And it has been held before that removing tags, which have serial numbers, is sometimes considered to be materially different. 
Now, this contentious relationship between luxury resellers and designer fashion houses is definitely an ongoing theme, and the ultimate rulings in these cases are going to be pretty important for this luxury reseller community. Now, depending on the outcome of these rulings, I personally think it may bring a major chilling effect to the luxury consignment market. For example, if you're a professional luxury reseller and you really do go to great lengths to determine the authenticity of the fashion items you sell, and then if ultimately some of your items end up being counterfeits, you may be liable for trademark infringements. That's pretty harsh and really unfortunate from a fashion perspective for these professional luxury consigners. And that concludes this episode. Please stay tuned next week for the third and last part of this three-part mini-series. Thank you for listening and have a wonderful day. Bye.